Well, welcome City Life. Let's try that again to uh, City Life Church. How y'all doing tonight? Good. Awesome. I'm super pumped to be here um, and to just speak with you guys tonight as um, Steve was just sharing and just really dig into the word because we believe that the word uh, still speaks to us today, right? So if you are visiting here, maybe this is your first time, just know I am not Pastor Fred Michaud. Um, I'm kind of filling in for him. He's on vacation this week and next week with his family. And so I'm preaching tonight and Steve Ruggiero is preaching next week. Come on, can we give it up for the man of God? I asked to go first because I'm not trying to follow that, right? So, uh, so yeah, it's going to be an awesome couple of weeks here at City Life. And so if you've been coming for some time, then you know we've been in a series called uh, Let's Praxis. And Praxis is the name of our discipleship model here at City Life. And we've got four numbers that help us to kind of remember that. They are the 1, the 6, the 12, and the 24. So the way that the model goes, it's, it's the one. The one invitation, right, to, to follow me as I follow Christ. So what does that mean? It, it means following Christ, but in relationship with other people. And so that's a part of discipleship. Discipleship is uh, accepting that invitation. And then once you accept that invitation to follow Christ in relationship with others, then there are six commands of Christ, right, that, uh, that we find all throughout the New Testament. And, and so those are the six commands that we have in our discipleship model. And then the 12 or the 12 pathways, those are the basically spiritual disciplines uh, that, that you have at work in your life as a disciple, except we don't call them disciplines because they're pathways. They get you somewhere. And where they get you is the 24 virtues, right? That you begin to look more and more like Christ, which is what those 24 virtues uh, that we find throughout Scripture uh, are, right? And so if that was a lot for you, if that was the first time you've ever heard that, then um, I've got a book. We have a book for you to read. It's by our own pastor, Fred Michaud, and it's uh, got all of that in there for you. And so if this is your first, second, third time, if you're a visitor Fred's not here, so I'll extend it. If this is your fourth or fifth time and you want one of these for free, um, see somebody with a blue shirt and they would love to give you one of these. It's so good. Um, and yeah, so that's what we have been working on in this series. And so we've kind of been attacking the series from a lot of different angles. Um, and tonight I want to attack it from a very specific angle, looking at one specific virtue, which is the virtue of patience. And, um, and so we're going to do that by jumping into Matthew chapter 5. And as we do that, I just, I want to ask you to be patient with me because we're going to go through a little bit of commentary before that to kind of get us prepared for uh, uh, that conversation. So y'all go with that. Ooh, two, y'all are so quiet. I'm the student ministries pastor, so I'm used to like engagement. Like you gotta say stuff to me. Are y'all good with that? Yeah. Okay, yes. Ooh, I like it. All right, so if you're good with that, uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter five, verse one. I've got part of this passage on the screen behind me. And so you can uh, look it up there, look up there to see it. If you don't have your Bibles. But this is how it goes in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. 
He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for your blessing, for your favor in our lives. And we just pray and ask for more of it today. I pray that uh, you would continue to speak to me as you speak through me tonight. I pray that you open our eyes and our ears to be able to see and hear what you wanna do and, and what you wanna say, how you wanna change our thinking, how you wanna change our hearts, how you wanna change the way that we live our lives. And, uh, and so we, we submit all of that to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I, 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 we like participation here at City Life, and so sometimes we start with a, a question, a poll, uh, to ask you guys in the audience. So let me ask you this question. What is uh, your favorite hashtag, maybe a hashtag that you use the most regularly? Maybe I should start with the youth. <laughs> I'm the student ministries pastor. I didn't think that through, I guess. What, okay, what are, some, so what are some hashtags that you guys use like every day? Say, hashtag blessed. Did you look at my notes? No. Oh, okay. All right. I'm just checking. All right. Hashtag blessed. What else? Uh, sorry, not sorry. Have you heard of that? Hashtag sorry, not sorry. That's like you're supposed to feel sorry about something, but you don't, right? That's the hashtag for that. What else? Sorry, the light is. Hashtag facts, like fact checking people. Are you like a subtweeter throwing that, that hashtag out there? Anything else? Any other hashtags, Bryce? CFA, like Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A problems. I know Starbucks has one to be a partner. Uh, Bryce said that because he works at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and, uh, and so, and yeah, but there's no problems at Chick-fil-A, right? All Chick-fil-A's are perfect. <laughs> So yeah, just to educate y'all out there, parents, I looked it up earlier. Some of the most common hashtags, right, are like TBT, uh, 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 Throwback Thursday, that's what that means. Uh, uh, WCW, Women Crush Wednesday, MCM, Man Crush Monday. Um, any other ones that I'm forgetting? Right, these are hashtag selfie, right? Parents are feverishly taking notes right now. More notes than they will for the rest of the sermon, right? But... So those are some of the like most popular hashtags. And one of, uh, I would say, the most popular hashtags that I've seen and probably that most of us, many of us have used in this room before is, as Jazz said, hashtag blessed. So uh, if you were to go onto Instagram, right, and click on that hashtag. So if you don't know, hashtags are links and you click on them and they take you places, right? Um, and so if you, if you click on the hashtag blessed on Instagram, you'll see a bunch of pictures of what people consider it, you know, it means to be blessed, the depiction of blessedness in their eyes or in our eyes, right? And so you'll see lots of pictures, and trust me, I've checked, right, of, 
of, uh, of people, you know, kind of flaunting their beautiful families, uh, hashtag blessed, taking pictures of their daughter or son on a good day, right? Uh, not when they're snotty and crying, hashtag blessed, right? Uh, uh, their wife or their husband on a good day uh, when they're not arguing, right? But when they look real good, hashtag blessed, right? Uh, when they buy a new house or when you buy a new car or, or when you're really proud of your body and the improvements you're making in the gym, right? Hashtag blessed. And so that's kind of how we view that word blessed. It's like uh, uh, we see blessed as an indication or a, another word for success, right? If we're blessed, we've arrived at success in some area of our lives. And if you were to click on that link, you see all kinds of indicators of that wealth and health and happiness. And so that's how we as a society kind of understand this idea of blessed. But Jesus's depiction of blessed in uh, Matthew chapter 5 looks a little bit different. If you were to click on Jesus's hashtag for blessed, it would, uh, it would pull up some very different pictures. It would pull up the opposite of health and wealth and happiness, it would pull up the things that were just listed in the Beatitudes, poverty and weakness and misery. From the perspective of the people who were listening to Jesus speak on the mountain that day, right, when he was preaching the sermon on the mount, uh, this list would have come across to them not as something to aspire to. So sometimes when we read, and how many of you, when I was uh, in elementary school, I had the Beatitudes on our, our wall in the school, in the classroom, right? And it's just like a very common thing to us as Christians. And maybe you've, you've heard this verse many times before, and sometimes we romanticize the metaphors in it, and we kind of glaze over what Jesus is actually depicting Right when he's talking here, he's depicting poverty, he's depicting a weakness and misery. From the perspective of the people listening, uh, they would have seen this list not as blessings, not as things to aspire to, but they would have seen them as symptoms, right? Not indicators of success, but symptoms of failure, right? And so I've broken up the Beatitudes, all of the, 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 um, the things in the list, right, the conditions in the list that Jesus uh, speaks, I've uh, categorized them into three categories of symptoms, poverty, weakness, and um, misery. And so in poverty, the words associated that, with that is poor, hunger, and thirst, and mourn. Blessed are those who, who uh, are poor in spirit, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who mourn. All of these words, they emphasize a lack, right? If you mourn, you've uh, had something or someone that you've lost, right? If you're poor, if you are hungry or thirsty, you have a lack. Uh, again, we like to kind of romanticize that, that metaphor, hunger and thirst for righteousness. And uh, we see that as this like, um, you know, cute, kind of catchy phrase to uh, illustrate a passionate pursuit for righteousness, right? That, that if we're hungry and thirst, thirsty for righteousness, we see that easily as a good thing as Christians because we want to be the ones who are, you know, passionately pursuing righteousness. But Jesus isn't so much talking about the pursuit of righteousness. He's talking about a condition, right? When I'm hungry and I'm thirsty, it's not pretty, Right? My wife said, right, amen. 
Uh, it's not pretty. I get hangry, right? And so, but when I'm hungry and when I'm thirsty, I, I pursue food and drink. I walk to the fridge and grab some food out the fridge and I go to uh, the sink and grab a glass of water. I pursue food and I pursue drink. But that, that, that's different than hunger and thirst. That comes after. That's my response. What Jesus is saying is blessed are those who are hungry, who are thirsty for righteousness. Blessed are those who have a lack of it. When I'm hungry, I have a lack of food in my stomach. When I'm thirsty, I have a, lot, a lack of liquid, right? And so when he says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's saying blessed are those who recognize that they ain't righteous, right? That there's a little bit of lack in their righteousness tank. Same thing with poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize in themselves a, a, a need, a desperate need for righteousness outside of themselves, right? As Christians, we kind of get a bad rap in the world because people, when they think of us, they think of us as like holier than thou and kind of pomp and kind of uh, uh, hypocritical. And so, and, and often that, that we, we tend to get in those cycles, right? Rather than seeing ourselves as poor in spirit, we see ourselves as rich in spirit. Uh, I love this tweet that Pastor Justin uh, tweeted earlier this week. He said, you cannot grow in holiness and holier than thouness at the same time. So, so you, can't be, you, you can't be rich in, in the spirit, right, pursuing righteousness and all of that and, and forget, you know, if we focus on our holiness more than we focus on our, our desperate need for God, God's grace to help us be more righteous and be more holy, then, then uh, we're hypocritical. We're holier than thou. And Jesus is not talking to us here. He's saying the people who belong in the kingdom of God, they're hungry and thirsty. They're poor in spirit. They have a lack and they recognize that lack. Same thing Pastor Fred said last week with the command, be perfect as I am perfect. We're never going to be perfect. So there's always that lack. Discipleship, a disciple recognizes that, right? So the first category of these symptoms that we see here in the Beatitudes, these conditions, right, poor, hunger, and thirst, mourn, they all fall under the category of poverty. And then he says, blessed are those who are meek, merciful, and pure. So, so these words, we're, we're, I think they're easier for us, especially as Christians, to see as things we want to aspire to, right? I want to be meek. I want to be merciful, right? I want to be Pure, but if you really think about and look at these words in the context of the world in which we actually live, you see them maybe not so much as virtues or blessings, but as symptoms of failure. Listen to these synonyms for the word meek. Meek, some synonyms are deferential, docile, passive, subdued, timid, unassuming. For merciful, it's lenient, condoning, easygoing, bleeding heart tender-hearted or soft. For pure, it's plain, transparent, simple. These are not like the kinds of adjectives, the kinds of words that you typically see of like Fortune 500, like people, right? These are not the, the, uh, the words that you typically hear described about people who inherit the earth, right? These, these are, are the descriptors of maybe the person uh, at your school in high school or in middle school who got picked on all the time, right? Think back to that person, 
it's a lot easier for them over there, right? But think really hard and really long uh, back in high school and middle school uh, for, oh man, why did I just do that? I'm going to, parents are like, I was on your good side, hopefully. Uh, but anyway, all right. So, uh, but, but okay, go way back and think about uh, when you were in middle school and when you were in high school, think about that kid that was picked on, that sat alone at the lunch table, right? Were, were, were they... Uh, uh, too lenient? (laughs) Were they too passive? Were they a bleeding heart, soft, simple, right? Those are the kinds of words that Jesus uses to describe those who will inherit the kingdom, those who, who belong to the kingdom, to describe us, right? To describe disciples. They sound more like symptoms of failure than any indication of success. And then the last category, misery, for that category, I assigned the, the, the two words, peacemakers and persecuted. And so, obviously, persecuted, there's not a, a big leap between persecution and misery, right? That those conditions kind of go hand in hand. But uh, what about peacemaking? So um, I think a lot of the times we, when we think about peacemaking, we think of of, of the outcomes, right? We think of peace, right? That peacemaking is a peaceful process. We think about people, right, like Martin Luther King Jr., who, who made peace, who brought reconciliation among races in this country, right, who, who actually brought to pass new laws in this country for people of color and minorities. We think, wow, that's awesome. When I, I want to be a peacemaker, right? You might say, okay, that's, that's cool. Like those virtue, that, that's a virtuous thing. That sounds like the blessed life. In our picture of peacemaking, maybe we think about uh, March 22nd, 1965, when Martin Luther King Jr. and 8,000 other people, most of them, right, Christian leaders who flew all across the world to, to march in a nonviolent, peaceful protest 54 miles from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama, to demand uh, that blacks have uh, unobstructed voting rights. And, uh, and you may or may not know, uh, if you watched the movie or if you can remember all the way back to history class, right, that that march resulted in the passing of the, the Voting Rights Act. And so you might say, peacemaking is awesome. I want to be that guy. I want to be Martin Luther King Jr. in the picture of the textbooks with 8,000 people behind me looking all suave in his suit, right? Like, I want to be that. But maybe what you don't think of when you think of peacemaking is the fact that on March 22nd, that was the third attempt to make that march from Selma to Montgomery. And, uh, and there were two attempts preceding that that ended or resulted in intense persecution. Here's how history.com describes that first attempt. It's also known as Bloody Sunday. It says, once Uh, Once the demonstrators uh, reached the crest of the Edmund Pettus Bridge, they saw trouble on the other side. A wall of state troopers wearing white helmets and slapping billy clubs in their hands stretched across Route 80 at the base of the span. Behind them were deputies and dozens of white spectators waving Confederate flags and giddily anticipating a showdown. The state troopers knocked the marchers to the ground. They struck them with sticks, clouds of tear gas mixed with the screams of terrified marchers and cheers of reveling bystanders. Deputies on horseback charged ahead and chased the gasping men, women, and children back over the bridge as they swung clubs, whips, and rubber tubing wrapped in barbed wire. Uh, 
I love this part. Although forced back, the protesters did not fight back. When we think of peacemaking as a virtue, you might think of Martin Luther King Jr. and 8,000 people on March 22nd, but do you think about the, the, the weeks before when all of those same people were crossing the bridge and were met with barbed wire and with tear gas and with persecution, right? Persecution and peacemaking almost always go hand in hand. So this list that Jesus is talking about, that he is preaching about, about uh, uh, these virtues, these blessings, these beatitudes, right? That these are actually, the theme is not so much success, not so much blessing from our perspective, but actually suffering. And consider Jesus' audience, I'm sure, he must have had people there who were literally poor, who were literally hungry and thirsty, who were literally persecuted, literally Morning, and he's speaking to those people and kind of talking about their issue, right? And then even the people in the audience who maybe weren't experiencing that stuff, he was saying, if you're going to follow me and be part of the kingdom of of heaven, you will, right? And so I love that, that what Jesus does here is he sympathizes with their symptoms. But what's interesting is he does not offer an immediate prescription instead he tells them to wait. My mom uh, is a pharmacist, and um, so that means for me free medical advice, right? Um, and because I'd rather call her than WebMD. WebMD, if I list my symptoms in there, they will convince me that I'm going to die. And so if I'm going to die, I'd rather my mom tell me that than WebMD, right? And so I, I call my mom ever since I, I moved out the house. Because when you move out the house, you realize you don't know stuff, right? You just take stuff for, y'all don't know about this yet, but you will. You don't know how to boil an egg, probably. Or, or change a tire, right? Or uh, I don't know, what are, what are the other things? ironing and doing laundry and all that stuff, right? And so most of us, we call our parents on the first day of college, like, how you do that again, right? Um, but, but for me, it was medical stuff, right? So I would call my mom, that stuff too, but I would call my mom and be like, uh, so I'm like breaking out in like bumps and I'm uh, sweating and I'm, I've got a fever, like what is going on with my body, right? And uh, usually she would either say, just shake it off, you'll be all right, lay, lay down. And she, my mom is like so chill. Um, so, so she'd be like, you know, you're fine. Or she would, you know, say, well, you need to go to the doctor and they'll probably prescribe X, right? Any of us, okay, y'all don't have the benefit of having my mom, but, but any of us who goes to the doctor with a list of prescriptions, you're expecting, or sorry, a list of symptoms, you're, pres- you're expecting a prescription, right? You're expecting to walk out of there either with a, a solution or at least a prescription for something that will ease the pain, right? And so Jesus, he's, he's listing all of these symptoms relating to all of these people who are suffering with those symptoms. And he doesn't prescribe an immediate prescription. Instead, he, he, he uh, gives them a list of solutions, right, that are to be applied eventually in the future at some point. So... Um, if you're an English nerd like me, you may have noticed in, when you're reading the, the Beatitudes that there's a difference in uh, tenses, right? So um, I'm going to put that up there for the, uh, the Beatitudes, right? So there's a, a difference in tenses, right? If this would have not have flown in 
at CNU, right, when I was uh, a freshman and, and handing in papers, right? I can't hand in a paper like Jesus can hand in a paper with two different tenses going on, right? I'd get it back with all kinds of, you know, red marks and uh, a lowered grade, but Jesus is Jesus, so he can do his thing, right? But, um, but, but because Jesus is Jesus, we know that this is not a mistake, that he does it on purpose, and what he's doing is he's actually using a literary tool called um, a chiastic structure. I lost some of y'all already. You're like, come on, don't take me to English class. It's too good not to, though. A chiastic structure. I promise you can get this. All right, so a chiastic structure is a circular ordering of phrases to emphasize the middle idea. Circular ordering, ordering of phrases to emphasize the middle idea. So a really quick and easy example, that idiom that says when the going gets tough, the what? The tough get going, right? It's circular. Going, get tough, going, right? Or tough, tough, going, right? And so the idea of a chiastic structure is that it, it's kind of like taking a sharpie, a black sharpie with words and kind of circling a concept to emphasize it. And in that phrase, the concept is tough. The point of that idiom is to emphasize you got to have a tough, you got to have tough skin, right? And so uh, that's just kind of how it works. And so Jesus is doing the same thing in this, except he's doing it with tenses. So go to my next slide. You'll see that right in the first two phrases, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted uh, because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's speaking right in the present tense. But then if you move forward, you see that in the middle, he's talking in the future tense. What is he doing? He's taking a black Sharpie and emphasizing the future. He's circling for us. He's emphasizing for us this idea that you got to wait. That there's, uh, uh, you know, solutions and prescriptions that I have uh, to offer, right? But, but, but there's a waiting also involved. And even the ones that are present tense, right? The poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. They're like, hold up. If I'm poor, I don't feel like I have the kingdom right now, right? Those who are persecuted, theirs is the kingdom. I don't feel like I have the kingdom right now. But every, all the other ones, he says, uh, uh, he prescribes comfort for those who mourn. Uh, 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 he says that they, you will inherit the earth if you're meek. He says that you'll be filled if you're hungry and thirsty. He's emphasizing the future. You will be. You will be filled. You will be shown mercy. In other words, Jesus is saying, I feel your pain, but wait. There's all kinds of... of um, virtues listed in the Beatitudes, and we've pulled some of them out even in our 24 virtues, but I, I think that actually what's going on in the Beatitudes is that Jesus is emphasizing one virtue in particular, and it's one that's not even listed. It's the virtue of patience. And patience, it's not a prescription for all that pain, right? Patience is not a prescription, but a diagnosis. And the diagnosis is long suffering. So how many of you in here, you have, um, you, you, you've memorized scripture in the New King, or the, yeah, the New King James or the King James Version, like your old school. So believe it or not, I used to uh, read the New King James Version in middle school and in high school, and I memorized scripture um, from those translations. And, you know, sometimes when you're trying to uh, recall scriptures, you, my mind goes back to my, you know, New King James. And so um, 
for me, when I think about the fruits of the Spirit, they go, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, what? Patience. That's because y'all new school, right? Patience. That's what it says in NIV and in NLT and in message version. But in the New King James, who, who, who's with me? <laughs> in, in the King James version, it's long-suffering. And that's because uh, there's a couple different words for patience in uh, the Greek. And, and the word here is macrofumio, which, which literally means long-suffering. The patience that we talk about as a virtue is this patience of long-suffering. It's the opposite of being short-tempered. It's the willingness to, to suffer for a while while you wait for that thing that you want to come. Long suffering. So in one of the places that it's used in scripture is in James chapter five, verse seven. And it says, dear brothers and sisters, be patient, or in other words, suffer long as you wait for the Lord's return. Both Jesus in the Beatitudes and James in his epistle describe the, exist, the existence of a, a Christian as an experience of long suffering, right? Waiting not only for the return of Christ, but waiting for all of, of those distant promises, right? That will be completely fulfilled in heaven. And of course, you know, as a church, we believe in heaven now and heaven forever. And we get glimpses of heaven now. We get glimpses of, of, of fullness and joy, right? And all of that. But we won't experience it fully until we get to heaven. So that means there will be suffering in this life, even if you are a Christian. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient. Trust in me as you wait. Trust that your gift, that your reward, that your uh, prescription, that the solution is coming with the Lord's return. And so it continues on in James chapter 5. He uses this metaphor and he says, Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. What he's saying is like a farmer, even though you might be planting seeds of faith and you might be planting seeds of discipline, maybe you're in here tonight and you've been reading the Praxis book and you've been looking at the 12 pathways and you're like, I'm doing that, right? Like I'm reading my Bible and I'm worshiping and I'm praying, but like somehow I'm still not getting ahead of my job, right? Or somehow uh, I still have strife in this other area of my life. And the reason is because no one's life will ever be perfect. I'm here to tell you that if you walk down the 12 pathways, you're gonna get closer to Jesus, but your life is not gonna get perfect. That there's still gonna be suffering in your life. And so you too must be patient. You gotta, even though you're sowing seeds of faith and discipline, you're gonna wait like the farmer who has to wait a full year or months or maybe multiple years for the harvest to fully come. And sometimes we do the things in obedience that Christ asks us to do, but we don't see the fruit of it immediately, right? That doesn't mean that we stop doing it. Patience is not just waiting uh, uh, with, with politely. I have a two-year-old daughter or about to be two-year-old daughter, so patience is a common word in the Godwin household, right? It's like, you know, she wants milk, but she wants it now, right? She's got this new thing. She loves tutus, and tutus are not logical. They, they, they don't make sense for every single day all the time, right? And so 
baby, you can wear the tutu, but just not now. Patience, wait, right? And, of course, she's two, so she's like, I don't know what you're saying. Those are fit anyway, but and we're working on it. But, um, but, right, but, but so patience, we think about patience as like being quiet and waiting, and, right, for, for whatever it is that we have to do. But patience means so much more than waiting politely and without complaint. It means trusting in the sovereignty of God. Just like the farmer, you're planting seeds, and as you do it, even if you don't see things changing in your circumstances, you're trusting in the sovereignty of God. That's what patience actually means, long-suffering. And sometimes that, that means that, that you've got to wait for your rightful reward. You've got to wait for the fruit. What I love about this passage in James chapter 5 is that it's immediately preceded, that idea, that picture of a farmer, right, immediately preceded by another person. And Pastor Fred talked about this last week that, you know, in our Bibles, we've got headings and we've got uh, chapter uh, numbers and we've got verse numbers that sometimes distract us from the fact that the Bible is ultimately books. The Bible is ultimately ultimately made up of letters, right? And so there's a, they flow, and um, they don't have the breaks that we typically have. And so in your Bible, you probably have a heading that breaks up verse 7, where James is talking about the, the, the patient uh, person uh, uh, and the farmer who waits patiently. Uh, uh, there's no break between that concept and that verse and the verses that immediately precede it. And this is what it says. You... In verse 5, you have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. Jesus is, con- or I'm sorry, James is contrasting people of patience, people of the kingdom who wait patiently and sometimes have to suffer and, and, and forego their desires. He's directly contrasting them with people who are, who are uh, uh, clamoring for success, clamoring for wealth and health, and happiness. He's describing people with the hashtag blessed life, right? You've spent your years on earth in luxury and and satisfying your every desire and posting about it on Instagram, right? You've done that. You've fattened yourselves uh, for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. He's saying not only do they clamor for health and wealth and happiness, but they do it at the expense of others, That's the kind of person that James is talking about in comparison to the farmer, to us, to the person who's supposed to patiently wait and sometimes forgo the immediate blessing, the immediate response of the desire to see the full fruit that we trust God has in mind for us. So patience is not only trusting in the sovereignty of God, It's trusting it enough to surrender your rewards, your rights, your blessings for the sake of others. Patience is the opposite of the me first mentality of the hashtag blessed people in verses five and six. It's the opposite of me first. It's deferring to others because you know your reward is coming eventually, right? And so I'm I'm gonna call the band to come up So I, um, I recently traveled to uh, Chicago on a plane, and I left because I don't, I'm not like a frequent flyer. And so I've been <clears throat> on an airplane 
a couple times before, once five years ago, the last time five years ago, with my wife who is like super administratively minded, right? And like got it all together and can navigate us through the airport. So I was not paying attention, right? And, uh, and then again, you know, earlier in high school. And so, um, so this time I was going by myself, not accompanied by someone who is naturally administratively minded. And so I, uh, I, um, you know, Hannah suggests that I should probably get there like four hours early because I know you and you're going to be a mess. So just get there early. And so she, she did. She dropped me off early. And, you know, I go through customs uh, and it was a breeze and I, I, I'm paranoid and anxious. And so I, I'm like checking my ticket a thousand times. I walk down to B9, you know, gate B9 to make sure it actually exists. Right. And it's there and it does. And so I'm like, OK, cool. And, and so I have a few hours. So I go to Starbucks and every 20 minutes I'm checking to make sure that my ticket is uh, like for that day and that I'm actually going to Chicago and, and I keep checking the board to make sure that like they haven't changed the departure time, right? Like super paranoid and like anxious already. And so that's my situation. And so I, um, I, I walked down there a little bit earlier, uh, uh, just before we're supposed to depart and I'm like feeling better at this point. But I noticed that that there's a cluster of people, not even a line, but like a mob of people waiting in front of the, the lady, the flight attendant who calls people to get on the plane, right? They're just like mobbed there. And then there's a couple of people who are sitting in the seats. And so I'm like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. So I'm just gonna go sit down, right? And so I'm sitting and as I'm sitting, I'm noticing that like more and more people are getting up and joining this cluster and like getting in this group and like inserting themselves in this line. And I'm like, maybe I should get in the line. Like I'm not trying to get left behind by all these other guys, you know, who are just chilling in the seats. And so I get up and I do, I insert myself into the thing. And of course, no one's talking to anyone. And so we're all just kind of like this close to each other, holding our boarding passes, waiting to get on. And, uh, and so the woman that's standing there starts calling people forward and she calls them in waves. I, I didn't know that this is the thing, right? She call, I thought we all just like get on, but she calls them in waves and in categories and first, y'all are laughing at me, but I'm not, I told you I'm not a frequent flyer. And so, you know, she calls uh, um, uh, people with disabilities first and people who serve in the military first. And, and then she and, uh, calls uh, uh, group one. And at that point, like barely anybody around me budges. And, and all of these people start like coming through the group up through. And I'm like, why am I standing here, <laughs> right? Like there's, it makes no difference whether I'm standing or sitting, she's gonna call me when it's my turn, right? And so I'm like, okay, this is for the birds. So I sit down and uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm of course group four all the way in the back by the bathrooms. And uh, <laughs> I've got, y'all can relate, I can tell. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's, it was hilarious because I, as soon as she called the next group, right? So she says group two, it was like going back to elementary school and playing mother may I, like mother may I take one huge giant step forward. She says uh, group two and everyone was like, Whoa, right? Trying to like edge their way into the front of the line. And I literally lulled, right? I was like, what are you LOL'd for? Um, I was like, what are, what are y'all doing? Don't you know that we have assigned seating? There's no reason to, to elbow and to fight in this line, right? 
And so that stuck with me and it was funny. I just like was chilling, laughing at people fight over their spot in line. And uh, I get, you know, eventually get on at the end and sure enough, I have a seat uh, that was reserved for me. And, um, and so I've been thinking about that ever since. And it's a funny little antidote, but, but I've been thinking about, man, how often do I do that in life? How often do I clamor to find my spot in line, right? To get the, the health and the wealth and the power and the privilege and the, the voice and the acceptance and the this and the that. How often do I clamor to and edge my way in line, right? Forgetting that my seat is already reserved in heaven, right? And so what I wanna remind us tonight is that, that, that that's what patience truly is. It's not like the hashtag blessed, right? It's not clamoring and fighting for health, wealth, and happiness because we trust in our God. And sometimes it means deferring. Sometimes it means taking a step back, letting somebody else have the power, letting somebody else have you know, the, the money, letting somebody else have, have the position. We say about the virtues, the more we develop the 24 virtues, the more we look like Christ. So the more patience, the more, the more patient we become, the more present Christ becomes in our circumstances, even though those circumstances might not change. And so I just, I wanna invite you guys to stand up tonight. We're gonna go back into a time of worship. But Father God, Lord, we come to you today with just great expectation. God, with great excitement, Lord, with with so much peace in knowing that you are a good God, that you see us and you sympathize with us in our suffering, you know us. God, I pray that you would speak and you would move in the people in this room who are suffering. God, help us to, to, to know that you are here. God, help us to be patient and to trust in your sovereignty, to still believe that you can uh, uh, step down and allow us to experience heaven now. But even if you don't, God, give us the faith, God, to be able to to believe you anyway, to love you anyway. God, and, and, and for those of us who might not even be suffering right now, Lord, help us, help us to do better at giving up our spot in the line. Help me to do better at at remembering you've reserved my seat in heaven. God, that you have my blessings and you you have my reward and you have the fruit for me in heaven. I don't need to clamor. I don't need to fight, Lord. Help me to defer. God, help me to trust you. Lord, help us all to do that. God, lead us tonight as we leave and as we worship.